Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Meet Hudson and Bailey. And in the vein of confidentiality, we'll keep it a little bit generic. But they've not only given me permission to share this, I actually had talked to them about sharing it a while ago in an episode, and one of them followed up recently and said, Hey, uh, when are you going to share a story? Because we, we have an update. We're ready for part two. So I better start part one. So without further ado, welcome to episode 410 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And let's just say that this episode, we're going to cut right to the chase. This one is sponsored by my very own Magnetic Marriage Couples Communication course. It is ready to drop. So sign up for my newsletter and you will be the first to know. Get the link and uh, there will be a coupon code. One will be Bailey, one will be Hudson and both will give you a discount off of the course. So they are a couple that truly just does not know what they don't know. Bailey, the wife, does seem to be a bit more invested in improving the marriage. She's the one that sought out counseling, reads the books. Hudson, truth be told, thought that things were fine. But when pushed by their therapist, played by me, he has been pretty quick to admit that when he hears things like, okay, we, yeah, sure, we're trying to manage each other's discomfort, or I don't like to be uncomfortable, or we're disappointed when one of them doesn't respond to something exactly how the other thought that they were going to. And he realizes there's a lot of assumptions going on. And that a lot of times he feels like if I just hunker down and make it through whatever is going on right now, it'll be better than me trying to express my emotions. So he does see that they could both use some help as long as he says they both admit that they have problems. And honestly, that's very normal stuff, especially when somebody starts going to couples counseling. But overall, they're trying and they want to navigate all the complexities of communication. And they both have agreed that they would like now a better emotional connection, as well as an easier way to talk to each other, a better verbal connection, intellectual connection, spiritual connection, sexual connection, you name it. So let me paint the picture of what led up to a crucial argument or disagreement, dust up, whatever you want to call it. But it was a moment that they really put all the pieces together. It, it, it ended up being a little bit of a, a turning point, a watershed moment in their journey of understanding each other better. So it was a normal evening for Hudson and Bailey. They had just finished a quiet dinner together. They were settling into what they expected to be a very relaxing night, maybe catching up on a, a show that they watched together and just getting some things done. So the atmosphere was calm, but you could tell that underneath the surface, there were unspoken thoughts and feelings and you could just feel it they were brewing. Because earlier that day, Bailey had had some challenges at work. She has a pretty egotistical boss and that left her feeling pretty stressed and overwhelmed. And she had some things that she had to take care of. And she had hoped to discuss these things with Hudson. She liked just having a sounding board. She wanted support and she also wanted some understanding. And meanwhile, Hudson had had a day of his own and he was showing up a little bit withdrawn. He would get a little pouty now as we've talked through this because then Bailey would sometimes notice that and she would go rescue him. So now he admits that he wanted Bailey to just pick up on that and then immediately address his two favorite love languages, words of affirmation. She could tell him how awesome he was and physical touch, as in she can physically touch him. But he was definitely dealing with some unresolved issues at his job and those were also weighing in on his mind. So it was almost like they were having a who's doing worse off 
that evening, which I think a lot of couples do. You think you've got a bad, let me tell you about my day. Or they both retreat thinking that the other person will, will see them and then say, Hey, what's wrong? So as they sat down in the living room, Bailey started to share what had happened at work. And she just started, just, she said, spewing this, just started coming forth from her. She was getting pretty heated, expressing all kinds of frustrations and the stress she was feeling. And Hudson, who had been a little bit preoccupied with his own thoughts, he responded in a way that Bailey perceived as dismissive, but then turned to argumentative. And then that response triggered a feeling of being unheard and unsupported in Bailey. So then she retreated as well. Hudson could sense that shift in Bailey's mood. So then he wanted to steer the conversation toward a more positive tone because he wanted to get rid of his discomfort. So then all of a sudden he said, oh, no, no, hey, let me actually, let me share something with you. And he wanted to share some good news he had received at work. And this, it was well-intentioned, but it was absolutely misinterpreted by Bailey at this point as an attempt to just, let me just uh, do a little tap dance here and then we'll be okay. And uh, we can just ignore whatever happened. Almost as an attempt to overshadow what he had done or overshadow her concerns. So that just made things feel worse. So the conversation got pretty heated from there because then Bailey really wanted to let Hudson know that he was doing a poor job of acknowledging her feelings. And then Hudson felt absolutely misunderstood. And then he was accused of being insensitive. And in his mind, he felt like I was absolutely being sensitive because I was trying to, to fix whatever just happened. So they had listened to some podcasts. They had just started working with me. And they had attempted to apply the, my beloved four pillars of a connected conversation. The emotional charge of the moment led to an argument that didn't really go very well. So now Hudson, realizing that the conversation was going nowhere, decided to take a step back and he excused himself and he said, okay, I'm going to take a couple of minutes. I'm going to ground, I'm going to ground myself. I, I hope that I can revisit this conversation with a clearer head. But then when he returned and then tried to start the conversation again, then Bailey, I think, was still feeling the the residue of the argument and just the tension in the room, in the air. And she was still preoccupied with work. So she said, you know what? I can't do this right now. And they need to talk about that later. So the incident left Hudson feeling really anxious. And this is what's so interesting is in his mind, he's thinking, look, I'm ready. I want to deal with it right now. We don't need to let this thing rest. But that's that really is more of a him issue in that moment if they don't have the tools or uh, if she's not available to communicate at that moment. But he says, look, I, I want to talk about things now. We're not going to run away from these things. And that can sound productive, but that's is that just him saying, look, I want to get rid of my discomfort right now so I can get some rest. I know you've got a lot going on, but you need to be the the receptacle of my discomfort. Again, great name for an alternative band. I'm not going to lie. What does Hudson do, though, when he feels anxious and unsettled? Because this isn't just about the unresolved argument, but then it, what it's bringing up is some underlying issues in their whole communication style or pattern and probably a fear of their emotional connection. So that's why I love this example. It's, it's such a moment that encapsulates a lot of things, the challenges they face as a couple trying to navigate each of their own individual experiences and emotions while moving forward as a couple and trying to maintain a healthy, supportive relationship. And you can just see where these little interactions then can start to just chip away at the, you know, at the, at the base of, of a relationship or of a marriage. And I just, I want these tools out there so bad, which, yeah, plug to my magnetic marriage course, 
because we just don't know what we don't know. And they can get through this, and they did. And they even tried to clunk through it a little bit using a couple of the pillars, maybe two out of the four pillars. And they felt like, okay, it was better, but I still just go back to the, they didn't really get in deep and both feel heard and understood and really learn from the situation other than that it eventually worked its way out and then they felt better. But that is just that the absence of bad is not good. It's, you're still missing this really amazing opportunity to communicate if you're both showing up and if you have a framework to operate from. So in the rest of this episode, I want to talk about how Hudson and Bailey could use, and I'm not just talking four pillars, but I want to talk about principles of communication. I want to talk about emotional maturity, because I really believe we're all emotionally immature until we're not. And just really understanding how to navigate these types of situations and that they, I'm not trying to sound dramatic and say, because they're a big deal, but there's just so many little deals that, that then all of a sudden jump up into a ginormous deal and then if there's just a way to start to address things sooner, it would just really do such an amazing thing for so many relationships. So from all of this, I sat down with Hudson and Bailey later, and we came up with some specific questions and concerns that seem to come out of just this example. So one, and we're going to cover all these, seeking guidance on resolving arguments. Because Hudson mentioned that some of their arguments ended positively using the four pillars getting through the four pillars, but others did not, and then had to be revisited later. So they really wanted some advice on how to resolve arguments in a a positive manner with some consistency. And and that is a a wonderful thing. Emotional consistency in in an individual as well as in the couple is, I think, is a goal that we need to be striving for. Um, Number two, dealing with post-argument anxiety, because he described his feelings as, uh, I think he used the phrase, grossly anxious after an argument that didn't conclude well, even though he said, but I tried to revisit the conversation. So he's looking for some strategies to manage the anxiety or to handle those situations better after a a disagreement. Um, The third thing that I want to, we'll talk about is addressing the communication breakdown in general, because Hudson's concerned about just how communication breaks down during discussions. Almost what are the things that they go to? What are the tools they use to get out of conversations. And he was admittedly particularly concerned or or curious about how Bailey tends to focus on his faults without acknowledging the positive things that he's done, how he has learned and grown, or the way that she shows up in the conversation. Now, you can already probably hear that those are him issues, but we'll talk about is there a way to bring those things up as a way of influence. And then uh, number four, perception of blame and then misunderstanding. So admittedly, the Hudson felt like Bailey perceives him as the sole cause of the issues. And then he feels like then that seems to have her misrepresenting the nature of the conflict. Because if he's always the bad guy, then he worries that he will just always be viewed as the bad guy. So he's looking for ways to address this perception and then hopefully improve some mutual understanding. And the the last thing is approaching Bailey and Bailey approaching Hudson with their concerns. My initial note said negative feedback, but that sure doesn't sound like a a positive thing. But Hudson's struggling with approaching Bailey with his concerns without her shutting down. But again, that's a him thing. If he's worried about she will shut down, then he's not ever going to try to just share his thoughts. But then there's also the school of thought that says, well, that's a him thing. That's something he needs to just work on and then just show up and be and do. And then that will hopefully lead her into emotional safety 
or at least he's done everything that he can do. So my goal then, I wanted to give him real specific strategies or insights, and it's going to include talking about the four pillars, but also ways to manage anxiety post-conflict. I want to talk about ways that we can both take ownership of things. And then it, it is fair to say that if we can sit with that discomfort of receiving feedback in a relationship, that can be a real game changer. It doesn't mean that you have to even do the things that your spouse or partner is suggesting because all of these things are going to be an opportunity for growth and for your good. So let's start with Hudson's first concern. So seeking guidance on resolving arguments. So here's how I would frame that. I, and I'm going to speak as if I'm speaking to Hudson because I want to tell him it's, it's really commendable that you're recognizing the positive outcomes in your conversations with Bailey because that is something that you weren't aware that you weren't even aware of. You didn't even want to come to therapy at first. So that does show commitment to growth and understanding in your relationship. And so whether you're the Hudson or you're the Bailey in this situation, you're trying to make progress. And that shows commitment to growth and understanding in the relationship. If you're listening to this episode of the podcast, if you're taking a course, if you're going to a coach, a therapist, then I will just say, at least you're doing. That's a place to start. You're going to learn things. You're going to deal with some discomfort. And sometimes one of the people that is in the couple's relationship or going into therapy or coaching, they may then see in that therapist office that their partner is pretty emotionally immature and unable to sit with any discomfort or not willing to take any feedback, even from the therapist that they are are paying to see for their expertise. So I am going to emphasize the importance of my four pillars of a connected conversation. Again, just they're based off of Sue Johnson's emotionally focused couples therapy. And this is just, these are tools that so many people either aren't aware of or they struggle to implement consistently. And when we aren't good at something automatically, then we just throw it away. That all or nothing black or white thinking. I think one of the fascinating things is I'll work with a couple for a while and we'll have a framework down. They're starting to make progress. They'll take ownership of things. They'll communicate effectively. They'll work the four pillars, assuming good intentions. And we'll go through those in just a minute. And they'll leave and they'll feel pretty good. And I might get a, a call a year later and they say, hey, can we come in? We need to work on or process some things. And they completely have abandoned the entire concept of being heard and understood and the four pillars of a connected conversation because we're just, we're wired that if it isn't perfect, if it doesn't always work, if it doesn't go well, or we're not thinking about it all the time, that then it just doesn't work. So then people will come back in and I start down the four pillar path because it works and you didn't know what you didn't know. And then you know, and you start doing, but you don't do it very often. Then you do it more than you don't. And eventually that's just who you are or what you do or how you, how you communicate. But that's a process, a process of becoming a path of enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. And I feel like when people see me start talking about the four pillars, you can almost see the light go out in their eyes sometimes because they, I think they subconsciously thought, well, no, we're just going to come in here and we'll tell them what's going on. He can tell us which one of us is right and we're done. But you, you need to establish a communication pattern and framework so that you can have something, a home base to return to. Let me revisit the pillars. So the first one, and I'll talk about my pre-pillar in a little bit. I have a pre-pillar, which is based off of Marshall Rosenberg's concept of, from his book, Nonviolent Communication, which is the concept around we make an observation and a judgment. So then if, <laughs> I said, I'll talk about it in a minute. I'm literally talking about it now, but we'll get to it in greater detail in a little bit from one of the questions that Hudson had talked about. But when, if he's observing Bailey's behavior and then he's then making a judgment that she's behaving that way because she doesn't care, 
Now he's even going into my first pillar of assuming good intentions or understanding there's a reason behind how each person behaves or communicates. And if he's already thinking, well, yeah, because she doesn't care, but I'm going to assume that I guess that's good. And so that pre-pillar of separating the observation from the judgment, I might be noticing that she's withdrawn and I'm observing that. And then I'm making a judgment that that means she doesn't care, but I need to be aware of that, separate that, that observation and judgment, because that leads to pillar one, assuming good intentions, or there's a reason why people do the things that they do. That's a caveat, a part B or a 1.5 that gets thrown in there. Because when somebody in a narcissistic or emotionally immature relationship is just cursing you out, I, I don't want you to think, well, at least they're, and they don't mean anything bad by this. So assuming good intentions are there's a reason behind how that person behaves or communicates. In the world of emotional immaturity or narcissism, that's because that person doesn't have their big kid feelings down or their big boy words or big girl words. And so they have to lash out if they feel like they are going to be heard or understood. But recognizing some people say it's a pillar one for life, that that assuming of good intentions is really changes the dynamic in any relationship because it, it helps you stay more present and lean in and then just be able to be there and, and, and really try to see and understand where this person's coming from. The, the second pillar, it's you can't tell the other person they're wrong or I don't believe you, even, even if you do think that they're wrong or you don't believe them. So you, you have to avoid dismissing the other person's experience. It is so important. It's so vital not to invalidate Bailey's feelings in this situation or her perspectives, even if Hudson thinks they seem unreasonable. Because remember, when you dismiss the other person's experience, you're essentially closing the door to a connected conversation. And potentially you are starting to do one of those tiny cuts that can eventually lead to the death by a thousand cuts in the relationship. Because the more that you close that door to a conversation, then the less likely the other person is going to be to try and even approach you to have a conversation in the future. And then that third pillar is questions before comments. Ask the questions before you make the comments. This approach, it's so important because it allows you the best opportunity to genuinely understand in this scenario for Hudson, where Bailey is coming from. It's about seeking to comprehend before seeking to be understood or trying to exert your own influence into the conversation or the relationship. And there are so many examples that then I have over the years even if somebody does say, okay, I've separated my observation from my judgment. I think that they don't care, but that's a me thing. So now I'm going to assume good intentions. There's a reason why they've withdrawn. And I'm going to jump into this mindset, my pillar two, and, and that I can't tell them this is, this, you're doing it wrong. Or I don't believe why you're saying, why you're doing what you're doing, because that's going to shut the conversation down. So then if I just say, though, if I put those comments before questions, pillar three, if I say, hey, I don't think you're trying to hurt me, but I just have to let you know it hurts. And I really am struggling because I don't think you know all the work that I've been doing. Well, then that person, we've shut them down. So the questions come before the comments because it, it so helps to get all the information and all the data in. So if I'm going to say, hey, tell me more, tell me what's going on, help me see my blind spots. Tell me what you're feeling right now. And, and I'm here. I'm gonna, I want to be here for you. So then you're going to be able to really help that person feel heard and understood without having them feel like they are wrong for just being them. And then that fourth pillar is staying present. Avoid a victim mentality because you encourage a far more equal and productive dialogue by staying engaged and not retreating into a victim role. You may put all the first three pillars together and then that fourth one, just say, I mean, what does it really matter? I know I'm a big old piece of garbage or I'm a walking paycheck or 
okay, I guess I just need to do every single thing that you say all the time because then we're in essence looking for our partner to come rescue and say, no, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that to begin with. So staying present and, and staying engaged, that prevents the conversation from shifting to this rescuer or victim dynamic. And the pillars, they're designed not to just avoid conflict, but it is to embrace the tension in a constructive way. We're so afraid of contention that we avoid tension altogether. And when you have the right tools, that tension is a beautiful place where the growth occurs. Because it's in those moments of, of discomfort that you can really show up more vulnerable and you can change the dynamic of your relationship and you can change the dynamic of who you are and how you show up as a person. Because we avoid, we run away from discomfort and most likely you weren't modeled or patterned uh, a way to deal with that discomfort from your own childhood. So if these guys continue to apply the principles, even when there's a challenging situation, then they're starting to nurture a healthier, more mature way of communicating. And it is not about resolution all the time. If, if ever, you got to start by just our goal is to be heard, heard and understood. To be heard is to be healed. And nurturing that healthier, more mature way of communicating, then the, that process is going to eventually start to become what you do. But it does take time and it takes a lot of practice. And the key is the consistency and patience. So let me talk about Hudson's concern about dealing with post-argument anxiety, because that is that also, I mean, th these are all challenges. If they were super easy, then all the marriages and relationships in the world would be just wonderful and amazing and there'd be no divorces. So to Hudson in this situation, dealing with that anxiety that follows an argument is so normal and a very common challenge. But if you can handle that in a, in a mature way, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity for personal growth. So it is important to first take a step back and just take a look at how do you currently cope with your anxiety? How do any of us do that? Are there specific actions that you take to alleviate it? Because recognizing your pattern is the first step. A lot of people go right to anger. That is a surefire way to, to try to get rid of your frustration or your discomfort is I'm just going to just get it off my chest and let somebody know about it and I feel better. Now, I'm not really thinking about them, but I feel better. Or do you withdraw when you feel anxious? Or do you turn to an unhealthy coping mechanism? This is when I do my pornography recovery course. It, it is all about coping, coping mechanisms. When people feel disconnected in their, their job, in their marriage, in their health, their career, their faith, then they tend to turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether it's gambling, pornography, it can be their phones, it can be work, it can be you name it. But when you are more connected in these areas of your life, you are wanting to be more engaged because you find more fulfillment in those areas. But we, we are absolutely programmed to try to, to just get rid of our uncomfortable feelings. So in, in acceptance and commitment therapy and ACT, we focus on changing our relationship with our thoughts, with our emotions, with our feelings, not trying to get rid of them, not trying to eliminate them because you have to accept them, take them in frustrated, take it in fully without defense. It's okay to acknowledge that you are feeling anxious. You are feeling frustrated, just like you can also notice that you're feeling hungry or you're tired. You can observe your anxiety without immediately acting on it. And sitting with that discomfort and building in that pause is one of those key concepts of becoming more emotionally mature and, and avoiding whether it's turn into junk food or, or pornography, being able to sit with the discomfort and knowing you're going to survive and you're going to still be alive. Oh, I can't help myself to do this next one. And eventually you're going to thrive. There we are. Those rhymed. But that practice helps you realize that you don't always have to follow what your anxiety, what your frustration, or what your appetite 
even suggests or recommends. And I, I will tell you this, I was going to say, here's, here we need a plug for mindfulness. But I was recording my Waking Up to Narcissism podcast yesterday on the impact of emotionally immature narcissistic parents on kids. If, I, if you haven't listened to, to that podcast before, I would recommend that. But I'm recording the episode and I spilled a bottle of water on my computer keyboard and my computer. I have a little Mac mini, so it basically covered the whole thing. So actually, let me just take a second and take that clip from the podcast and I will paste it right in here. Carl has become a clinical psychologist. And a real quick rundown on therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, they all walk into a bar. No, I, so I'm a therapist. I have my master's in counseling. And then you do your internship. You get 3,000 hours under your belt and you sit for licensing exams. And then you operate as a licensed, for me, marriage and family therapist. There's my intern, Nate, licensed professional clinical counselor, his wife, Marla, who is just joining. I literally just spilled water all over my computer keyboard. So I will be right back. Hey, everybody. That was really, really interesting. I just had to leave that in there because I just want to make a plug for mindfulness and meditation because I wish I would have had my video on. I wish you could have seen that. I literally knocked over a bottle of water onto my computer and keyboard, and it turns out I'm still wiping it. I didn't realize I made it all the way up onto my monitor as well. And those moments, I just feel like they are such a testament to a regular meditation or mindfulness practice because I was not this guy years ago. I would have gotten really upset and I would have wanted to complain about it. But that definitely just happened. And I do wonder if I would have watched my computer go up in flames or smoke or something, if that would have been a little more difficult to notice that and just be and do. But yeah, that happened and we're back and I lost some time. But uh, what an experience. <laughs> what a What a joy that was. Okay, and we are back. But that is such a powerful way to learn to sit with any kind of discomfort and just notice it and observe it. And now this is where the concept of differentiation becomes so powerful because it allows you to sit with the, the discomfort, the uncomfortable feelings of these tense conversations. So Hudson having these conversations with Bailey without losing his sense of self. So by staying present and composed, then you are offering her emotional safety and space. And that consistency, that emotional consistency is it is a you thing from the world of differentiation that at the end of the day, everything is a me thing. How do I feel? You do something, you say something, and it causes me to feel a certain way. Again, that is a me thing if I can look at that from an emotionally mature point of view. And by staying present, composed, this does not mean that you're indifferent to her feelings because so often we react because we want to calm, calm her down. I didn't know I didn't mean that or okay, fine, I won't do that again or yet you're being unreasonable instead of sitting and being and listening and trying to empathize. This does not mean that you're indifferent to her feelings, but you are acknowledging them without letting your own anxiety dictate your response because it is not about suppressing or getting rid of, of anxiety or any of those emotions, but it's understanding the role that our emotions play, the role that anxiety plays. It's trying to give me a heads up and then learning to coexist with it. Because this is the process that helps you engage in conversations with your partner, Hudson with Bailey, more mindfully reducing the urge to resolve the conflict immediately. We want to get rid of that discomfort so bad, and we're afraid that if we sit with it, then it is going to engulf us and we are going to um, shut down, maybe run away, die, whatever that looks like. And we can learn to sit in that tension, and it does not have to go to contention. And it helps us actually learn 
to focus on understanding and empathy. I know I said a little bit of this earlier, but addressing what Hudson saw as the communication breakdown, it goes back to this pre-pillar that I was talking about. It's from Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication. So if I am giving this advice to Hudson, now I will say that, okay, Hudson, understanding and managing communication breakdowns is absolutely crucial in any relationship. And so before you go in deep in the four pillars of a connected conversation, then this is that pre-pillar. And it focuses on the distinction between objective observations and subjective judgments in our communication. And this is why we react. We react to situations immediately. It's sometimes it's even a visceral or a gut reaction. What comes with that reaction is judgment of the behavior. And a lot of times it's the way that we try to make sense of the world, but then terms like lazy, careless, selfish, those are subjective judgments, but then they are like poking the bear. They evoke a defensiveness. They just shut down productive dialogue because we have just judged somebody with the subjective judgments and called them things like lazy, careless, selfish, you don't care. If you really think of it in terms of, I need to be aware of separating the observation from judgment, this pre-pillar then encourages us to make unbiased observations which then helps you shift from being accusatory to then neutral. Fact-based remarks, I am noticing this. For example, so instead of saying you're always so lazy, you might say, I noticed dishes weren't done when I came home. That is just a fact. They are not done. This approach removes the element of blame and it focuses the conversation on specific actions rather than assassinations of character. So in, in Hudson's case, then he might be observing Bailey's behavior of not necessarily bringing up her part of the conversation as if she then thinks that he is the only one doing everything wrong. So if you can separate those two, your observation is that you don't notice her taking ownership of what you believe is her part of the disagreements and then having the judgment that that means that she thinks it is all your fault. By separating the observation and the judgment, then you can more effectively apply that first pillar of assuming good intentions. So when he interprets Bailey's actions without this cloud of subjective judgment, then he can open the door to understanding her reasons and her motivations, which are most likely uh, rooted in concerns or feelings that you're probably unaware of. No matter what you think, if you're thinking, no, I know her pretty well, assume that you do not know. And then this practice of, of these clear objective observations, then that sets a real safe consistent, constructive tone for the conversation. It helps you understand each other's perspectives and it will absolutely avoid escalating the situation if you are doing this on a regular basis and it starts laying the groundwork for my beloved four pillars to be more effectively utilized. Okay, and then next up, we want to address the issue that he had of perception of blame and misunderstanding. And I'm going to go back to the concepts around self-differentiation. Here's what I would say to Hudson. This is tailored to him specifically. So Hudson, navigating perceptions of blame and misunderstanding in your relationships with Bailey, it is a key. And I love the fact that he is aware of this. One of those big steps of just being aware, even if you're not entirely sure what to do, because it is crucial to understand that if Bailey perceives you as the sole cause of your issues, that's actually more reflective of her perspective than an objective truth. So this isn't meant negatively toward Bailey because I feel like, oh, I just threw Bailey under the bus, but it emphasizes the importance of differentiation in personal growth. Meaning, I think one of the best ways to look at it, it's about understanding the distinction between your own thoughts and feelings and those of others. It's like giving yourself a pop quiz about yourself every time you react to something. And not just in a relationship, I, I react to a type of food. It tells me something that I like that kind of food or I don't. 
So why do you feel the way that you do when you react to something? What does it reveal about you? The father of differentiation, Murray Bowen, he pointed out, understanding the difference between what we feel and think versus what others feel and think is crucial because it helps us handle drama calmly and steadily, making us more consistent in our responses. So if you really break it down, every emotional reaction that you have is an opportunity to learn more about yourself. And it's, it's life's way of hinting of who you are. And that's why the more that you do and the more things that you interact with, the more people that you interact with, the more you're going to learn about yourself. Because then if you keep getting caught up in the same kind of feelings, then it's really important to ask yourself, these emotions, these, these thoughts, are they genuinely yours or are they there due to the influence by somebody else's behavior, their manipulation, their emotional immaturity, or their expectations? Because differentiation does not mean disregarding the feelings or thoughts of others, but it's about being able to distinguish between their emotions and your own. And this balance between your individuality and your connection to others is one of the biggest signs of becoming more emotionally mature that there is. Recognizing what emotions and thoughts are truly yours then allows, in this case, Hudson to interact with Bailey more authentically without being swayed by her perceptions or behaviors. It's about maintaining your sense of self even as you empathize and connect with her. And she's maybe bringing some things up that are difficult to hear. Why are they difficult to hear? That's the big question. If you're sitting in your calm, confident energy and being all differentiated and knowing that at the end of the day, it is a me thing. I choose how I react in that situation. That's where that choice becomes pretty important. People often, I think, mistake and say, you're choosing to feel a certain way. No, you're feeling a certain way, but then it's what do you do with that? So in his situation with Bailey, applying this concept means that he can acknowledge her perspective, but he can stand firm in his own understanding of the whole situation. It's not about getting lost in her narrative of blame but maintaining his own perspective and emotional integrity. And then this approach helps him take a look at these things that she's sharing more effectively. And that way it will contribute to his own personal growth, which helps the health of the relationship. Now, I want to take a quick, quick side note, a little left-hand turn here. In the sessions, as I'm working with couples, I'm talking a lot more about a concept that I put out there in a podcast. It was several months ago but it's called holding the assertive frame. And this is, there's the concepts around masculine and feminine energy and polarity. And I took some of those concepts and, and then crafted this holding the assertive frame. So I'm looking at this as there's a, a healthy and an, an unhealthy assertive way to show up and then a healthy and an unhealthy way of nurturing to show up. So it's not about male, female, it's about being assertive and being nurturing. So holding the assertive frame, I think is a real, it's a real crucial concept in maintaining healthy communication and the dynamics within this relationship. Here's what it looks like to hold the assertive frame. Number one, do not play the victim. Avoid adopting a victim mentality in conflicts. This means just don't portray yourself as perpetually wronged or helpless or because that is going to shut down communication and you're not going to find resolution or the resolution you're going to find is you immediately got rid of your discomfort by being in essence, I want to say a baby and having your partner come rescue you and tell you it's going to be okay which then just puts the entire relationship out of balance. But the second thing is understanding tests for safety. Recognize that when your partner expresses real big emotions or seems to be testing you, that it's often a search for safety and security within the relationship. They're not necessarily questioning your, your worth or your love, but are seeking reassurance about the stability and safety of the relationship. And uh, I'll maybe get into that a little bit more later, but especially in things like the world of, let's say, betrayal trauma. 
If somebody, if the person, the betrayer has really done their work and they are showing up the, uh, the best version of themselves because they finally have, are getting help and their partner still feels unsafe, that would make sense. I can understand. So then if their partner is saying, I still don't even know if this is going to work out, if the betrayer then goes straight to victim mode or, or starts to, to get angry or go big with their emotions or feelings, then they are showing, hey, this isn't safe. I know that this happened before, but I've had enough of it, says the betrayer. But if the betrayer is using this as an opportunity to self-confront and grow and be and do, then if their partner says, I don't even know if I can trust that this is going to work out, then that really would be difficult because as the betrayer, you're saying, man, I, I recognize and acknowledge and I am so sorry for the, the things that I put you through, but we're here and I am doing and being and I am so sorry and that would be hard if you feel like you're not sure if this is going to work out because without it sounding dismissive, I'm going to do my best to be the best person that I can be and I hope that you will join me on this journey in essence. So we've got that first concept, don't play victim. The second one, understanding tests for safety. And the next up is prioritizing connection over fear or ego. You have to put that need for a genuine connection above your own fear or ego. And this might mean enduring discomfort or refraining from saying what you think will simply appease your partner. It's more about being true to yourself and consistent in your actions, even if it's challenging. The fourth point of this is showing your love. Don't just say it, show it. And, and through your actions, expressing your love, not just in words, but through your actions and demeanor, be calm and confident and consistent and validate your partner's feelings and offer support. How can I be there for you right now? Not, hey, look, do you see all the things I'm doing? It's do them. And number five, avoid bringing up your past good deeds. Because in conflicts, a lot of times when somebody feels emotionally exhausted because they, look, I'm doing my best, then they want to bring up their past good deeds, almost like a bargaining chip or as a means to alleviate their own discomfort. But then this makes your partner feel unseen and unheard. Number six, I like to say that have this option for a do-over. Understand that it is okay if you just react impulsively to ask for a second chance to handle a situation better. This shows your willingness to improve and learn from mistakes. Now, I know I work a lot in the world of emotional immaturity or narcissism, and there is a, a little bit of a different vibe there where it's, uh, hey, let me see which mask I can put on that's going to work. So this is coming from a different place of that. But the last one that's pretty interesting is uh, accepting your partner as a guide. If, if Hudson can view Bailey in this situation as a unique observer in your journey of self-improvement, then their perspective, even though we've already identified it's subjective, it's their perspective, it's going to give you insight into your behavior and your character. You get to use their feedback as a tool to self-reflect and grow, even if you don't always agree with it. If they say that you are continually yelling at me and you have gone to, I'm not yelling at you school, and you walk around with some device that continually keeps you underneath the not even close to yelling tone and if you did you get a shock i don't know if they're saying if they're continually saying that but you are then at that point it would be really hard and i'm so sorry that i put you in the spot where now you feel like even my calm smooth demeanor and tone sounds like yelling you can't cop up to something now that you are aware of and if you are not doing it and then so when you are applying let's go right back to hudson and bailey applying holding the assertive frame so in, Hudson, in Hudson's case with Bailey, holding the assertive frame would involve him recognizing that her underlying need for safety. So instead of him reacting defensively or trying to pacify her just to avoid conflict, then he needs to strive to understand her perspective genuinely. Build a big old pause in there. He needs to have a goal to communicate his thoughts and feelings honestly without playing the victim or resorting to ego-driven response. How dare you say that? Do you know how that makes me feel? 
So when Bailey expresses frustration, dissatisfactions, or seems to be testing him, he can view this as an opportunity to strengthen their connection by showing empathy and consistency in his actions. He can listen actively. He can validate her feelings and offer support without dismissing his own values and his own perspective. And that can be difficult, especially when that relationship is being tested. And sometimes it's going to require setting a boundary, not an ultimatum. You need to knock it off. That's a, you need to do that. Setting a boundary is, hey, if you continue to go on, then I'm going to need to to leave. But I promise that we'll come back to this conversation when the waters are calm. But by not leaning on past good deeds or trying to control the situation, he is showing a commitment to the relationship. And again, this is a, he is doing this. If she does not show up, if she does not continue to do her own work, then that really does become a her thing. But if he feels that a conversation didn't go as well as it could have, he can ask for a do-over. He can show his willingness to improve, deepen the connection. And lastly, Hudson, he can see Bailey's feedback is valuable, even if it challenges him, because that is an opportunity for self-reflection and growth. He's going to be able to better understand himself and his role in the relationship. So holding that assertive frame is about this balance between empathy and understanding while still maintaining your own integrity and self-awareness in the relationship. Let me go a little deeper in two of the points on holding the assertive frame. Let's talk about testing for safety because I want to add a little bit more depth and clarity, because that is such a key point. It is essential to recognize that when we talk about your partners testing the relationship for safety, it's not necessarily active, aggressive, or even a conscious process. It's not about them deliberately challenging you, but it's an underlying emotional dynamic that it will often play out in a relationship, because it's not always about even the here and now, or you, or even within the relationship. Sometimes they're testing that safety And you may end up representing the bully on the playground, the parent, the previous relationship. And I think this understanding is really helpful for the person who feels like they're on the receiving end of an attack during a conversation. Now, you can approach that situation with more empathy and patience by at least starting from a place of perceiving those moments as your partner expressing their need for safety. This allows you to hold that frame with greater confidence. And now acknowledging then that many of the relationship reactions are rooted in our past experience. And again, we're talking all the way back to childhood or adolescence is a key part of helping you stay more present. So in Hudson's situation with Bailey, understanding this whole concept of testing for safety, it really can be transformative, especially early on in a relationship, because it allows him to see beyond the surface level conflicts that happen so often. And he can see this deeper need for emotional security that Bailey might be expressing. This is a big part of the we don't know what we don't know. And then by maintaining this empathetic and then hopefully steady presence, then Hudson can provide Bailey with this sense of safety that she needs, maybe doesn't even know that she needs. And it potentially helps helps to address these deeper issues that will influence their current interactions and their interactions in the future. And this is a big part of the more that I talk about these things, the more that I put these frameworks into place and I try to help younger couples, newlywed couples, newly married couples start to deal with some of these these surface level interactions that they just feel like, no, it's really not a big deal. And there's a part of me that just wants to scream and say, okay, but they have a couple of hundred of these. And now we're starting to look at that concept of death by a thousand cuts where all these little things that you don't know that you don't know and don't have the tools for that there are ways to start to communicate, but it is going to be uncomfortable. And again, we go back to the, we're not big fans of being uncomfortable. So I hope that even just hearing some of these concepts will just start to plant that seed. And it, it will just help you have a deeper understanding of each other in the relationship. And then one more to go in a little bit of depth, and that's that uh, seventh point of holding the assertive framework. 
accepting your partner as your guide and tying it to a broader concept of, of emotional maturity. If we really look at that, what does that mean to accept your partner as your guide? Because ultimately our partners in relationships, and I'm talking about in uh, couples, when we're coupling up in a relationship, but really you can look at any partner that you are in a relationship with, whether it's a work partner, you train with somebody, it could be a, a kid as they become older, but recognizing that they are a bit of a unique observer in the relationship, that can really be fundamental to hopefully becoming more emotionally mature and your own personal growth. Because if you are committed to a journey of self-improvement and you're recognizing now that, okay, this relationship means a lot to me, but it also can help me, then feedback from your partner, it becomes a pretty invaluable resource. I think the thing that we get stuck on is being afraid to hear those things from our partner because we're worried then that that means we go to all or nothing black or white thinking. That means they're going to leave. But it's important to understand that while we can be our own harshest critics, then we also tend to see things in extremes like black or white terms. And then that leads us to feeling misunderstood. And then interaction with others, particularly those close to us, our partners, then it provides even more perspectives that are essential for a more balanced self-view. But it doesn't mean everything that your partner says about you is accurate. That is so important to remember. Their feedback is filtered through their own experience, their own perceptions, their own lens. So some of their observations will have validity. And then others won't necessarily align with your own journey, your own self-awareness, particularly in areas that you have consciously been working on improving. So if you are working on staying calm and steady, you're the one that knows your true intentions of your heart. So if your partner reacts or responds to something, geez, I was just saying something. And if you in the past would have said, oh, I'm so sorry. But if now, oh, I know, I, I know, and I hear you and I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm also aware of the work that I'm doing. And let's talk about that tone. That comes up a lot. So just take a look at the, the tone of voice. That is such a common point of contention. So after working on yourself, a lot of, and I'll just go down the path of I work with a lot of men. Many men learn to maintain a consistent and calm tone. And they start to move away from tendencies like passive aggressiveness or raising their voices. And I'm talking about ones that are in, let's say they're in my office, they're in my men's group, they're working on this. This is something that they weren't even aware that they weren't, that they were doing. And now they're aware, they're trying to work on it. So if their partner perceives them as yelling, this is a very valuable opportunity for the guy to reflect and uh, in essence, get verification in a sense. So it's a chance for him to assess, okay, does this feedback align with his own self-awareness and the progress that he believes he's made? Back to, back to differentiation that plays such a crucial role. If your partner points out a behavior and it triggers an emotional reaction, uh, it's that pop quiz again about yourself. Why did I react this way? Is there any truth in what they're saying? Because I used to not even be aware that I was responding or reacting loudly or angrily. And then maybe I started to be aware of it, but I realized, well, I feel... I feel, I feel unseen. I feel unheard. That's why I'm getting angry. Then I have to tap in and say, all right, well, that's not a mature response. That's the way maybe I saw my parents handle things. My dad would just get big and loud or my mom would just, yeah, just start to talk over somebody. And so that's been an opportunity for me to grow. So whether or not their feedback is entirely accurate, it will serve as a valuable, we'll call it a prompt for your own self-reflection. So by valuing your partner's perspective it, as a unique viewpoint on your journey, which I really do think is a big reason why we, we couple up. Yeah, procreate, replenish the earth, that's a thing. But we can't just live in an echo chamber of us always thinking that we're right about everything and just needing our partner to validate us and basically saying, you do validate me, right? 
Because then at some point, they're just going to feel like, uh-huh, sure, you bet. Because I realize it doesn't matter if I say anything else. But this will allow you to see past your own self-perception. Consider how others might interpret your actions. But it's, it's not just about acknowledging the possible truth in their observation, but it's about appreciating the role that they play in your growth. Because this way you can look at the role anybody plays in your growth. It is your growth. They are playing a role in it. Even if their feedback challenges you, it will contribute to your journey toward becoming more emotionally mature. And ultimately, that is a you thing. So in Hudson's situation with Bailey, he can embrace this approach. Uh, He can use this feedback as a tool for self-assessment and growth. And by taking in her perspective seriously, even if it challenges his self-perception, then he can deepen his understanding of himself and how he relates to Bailey. It becomes this process that does require openness, humility, a willingness to grow, And all of those are hallmarks of emotional maturity. I feel like I could dramatically now get up on my soapbox, play some music in the background and say, if there's one thing that I desperately want is to help people become more emotionally mature, ideally in concert with the other human being that they have chosen to be in a relationship with. Because things do not have to just go flat. They do not have to go stale, but they will unless people are out there doing their own work finding the right tools and then interacting with each other and sitting with a a pretty fair amount of of tension and just trusting some of the processes that they didn't even know existed. And you can see some phenomenal growth in your relationship. And I think people have to go through things before they really start to look for tools. And I know that I'm a little guilty of hoping that I can help people get those tools before it gets to a point where they feel like I don't know what else to do. But if it gets to that point, and you are looking for those tools, they're out there. Now, of course, I mentioned earlier today, this whole episode feels like it's sponsored by my Magnetic Marriage course. I feel like I have a good set of tools to offer, and so I would love for you to to reach out, take that course, but also to provide me with your questions, your comments, your feedback, your specific instances where you have some challenges in the relationship, and I would love to try to address those on a future episode as well. I hope you have an amazing week, taking us out per usual, the wonderful, the talented, Rora Florence with uh, her song, It's Wonderful. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.